you are listening to a production of the Tour Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 246. How much can one machine hate? I'm Aleph. And I'm Sano, and this is Common Rider 01, episode 36. I am the Ark and a Common Rider. And episode 37, no one can stop it. Our writer for both is Kakehi Messiah, and our director for both is Shibasaki Takayuki. I just, before we get going, Sono, I just want to throw out, I love this thing where we open the arc, by which case I, I mean the, the section of a story, because this is the arc arc, not to be confused with the arc of the covenant, uh, which, hey, don't open that, or if you do, don't look at it, your face will melt. Um, but, but I very much like just opening every arc with the variation on I am X and a common rider, which, I don't know, sort of takes me back to the drive hype in a fun way because like i know it's been it's a thing they've been doing the whole time like because it's i'm the president of the common rider i know i am the president and the common rider i am the arc and the common rider. like it's clever i just it puts a smile on my face every time it is a neat little time indicating device an importance indicating device yes very important because who oh boy this is um uh, heck of a couple episodes isn't it <laughs> Sure is. Uh, so to that end, before we get going into how much of a heck of an episode these are, um, let's just get our, our problems out of the way. But Sona, you're going to have to go first because I couldn't really think of it. Yeah, I didn't... I don't really have anything that's an actual problem. Uh, just stuff that I didn't feel quite right putting in the, like, good section. Um... Because I love these episodes so much. All of the things I'm going to bring up are really effective writing, so they're not bad in that they're an actual narrative problem. Um, but, like, for example, in 36, and this is my only problem in 36, is I was really upset when the arc activated the chip in Yua's head, because I'm like, man, you're already stomping her into the dirt. You don't need to remind her of that. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, it's a great character moment. Like you said, it is effective writing, but man, bad form, Ark. Come on. Yeah, like, it's, he has just shown up, it is a way of kind of showing that he is the one that was, like, Guy was controlling her through him, and he still has access to that, and he's going to use it. Um, but I just, I'm like, buddy, don't. You're already winning. Come on moving into 37 this is still good writing so it's not actually a problem but like how do they manage to keep making guy more gross and awful <laughs> i didn't think it could be done but every single episode they're making it happen look it's it's real impressive like i didn't think it was possible but then he's like hey we're gonna purposely trigger the murder switch in our one product so everyone will go out and buy the other one. And I had to just, like, stop and step away. Because, like, buddy, come on. Really? Like, again, not bad writing, because they're just, they're really going hard on Guy is awful. And the free market allows for it. And I like the things that this leads to, which mm. we will get to. But, like, oh, Guy, please calm down. You've already won, and you're not even the main villain at this point. You can just coast the rest of the series. Everyone's forgotten about you. Like, just chill out. Yeah. 
No, like, and look, I've I've been having a lot of thoughts about what makes certain villains hit certain kinds of hard, and I've had a lot of people back me up on the idea that no one is quite as loathsome as a guy who keeps winning, but somehow all of that winning just isn't enough for him, and that's Guy. <laughs> he just, he cannot take the win. It's the worst. And look, as you say, it's not bad writing, because we've definitely seen this sort of thing happen in Common Rider and also in, you know, the world. <sighs> anyway, just, mm, like, we, we've all seen unscrupulous business types in our lifetimes, but still, just take the win, guy. Just take the win. Okay, so this is, this is the only thing that comes close to an actual writing problem, but I still really love the scene. Um, but in the fight between Metsubo Jinrai and Thouser, I'm not really sure who I was supposed to be rooting for. <laughs> you ain't wrong, though. Because, yeah. Because we come into this fight with Guy still being presented as this horrible person who is playing with the lives of humans and Yumagir for the sake of his own bottom line, and while well, he's been, you know, doing all of these things that he then, like, he that the people of he then intelligence are now going to try and force him out for, and he's, we see him kind of knocked down by the Ark, parroting his own malicious sentiment of, you know, you're a tool, you shouldn't think for yourself. Which, and by having the way, that, just, <laughs> love that. And, like, we're having it turned back on him that he is the one who forced Metsubo Jinrai to be this. And again, like, we parallel that to the scene of Shesta taking Guy down and digging up all of these things that he's done from within Hiden. And his own hubris is finally coming back to bite him 100-fold. So um, he's definitely not in the right here. Sono, I hate to be that guy. I hate to be Guy, actually, but... Are you sure you don't mean a thousandfold? No. I knew as soon as a hundred came out of my mouth that I had used the wrong word. Yep. Sorry, I'm just I'm playing. I, I'm but sorry. it's it's he's not presented as not the being good guy. the villain in this scene. <laughs> and you know, it feels like this moment where we're supposed to cheer for the Yumagir who were fight finally be able to fight back against this person who has been wronging them. But also the Ark is here and the Ark doesn't care about that. The Ark just wants to unceremoniously murder anything and everything, which is, you know, also bad and evil. Yeah, not a, not and a, a lot of this fight is showing off how unstoppable the Ark is against this guy that we've been unable to overcome up until this point. So we should also probably not be rooting for him. And I'm gonna be honest, I was rooting for Metsubo Jinrai anyway, because my first point is the one that's the most important to me, of the Yumagir finally fighting back against the dude who forced them to be this way. Yeah. Um, and also... Everyone who wasn't the Ark absolutely deserved this fight. But I'm just, I'm not sure who the scene 
wanted me to root for. Yeah, you know, looking back, I'm I'm not entirely certain either. I feel like it wanted us to be rooting, at least in that moment, for the human gear. But also, like you said, I mean, they are currently doing Metsubo Jinrai stuff, and Metsubo Jinrai is a... Uh, uh, I don't know, is, is it just a terrorist organization if your goal is to um, wipe an entire species off the map? That's that's a, a few steps above terrorist, I feel like. That, that's orders of magnitude greater. Anyway. I mean, like, there's, there's degrees where I feel like you're supposed to root for Metsubo Jinrai, but not the Ark. Yeah. But the Ark is also there and on Metsubo Jinrai's side, so it's a very complicated balance. Again, it, it, it only, like, borders on being a problem with the writing, because, again, the scene itself is so good. It's just, it's, I don't know who they want me, I don't know whose side they want me to be on. Yeah, yeah, because it definitely, it doesn't play as, you're supposed to hate both of these people. Like, I feel like we're supposed to back the, the Metsubo Jinrai, but also, like you said, they're, they're not good. The Ark does want to do a lot of murders. Yeah. Which is a problem. Yeah, not mm, not a fan. Not a fan. But on the other hand, I always back the human gear. Because, like, even yeah, when... Yeah, same. Yeah, even when they're on the wrong path. Because, like, look, it's probably not the smartest thing to do to always be like, yeah, the human gear are great. Because, you know, like you said, and as, a, as we'll be pointing out multiple times throughout the episode, I imagine, um, they're currently working for or with uh, a malevolent intelligence that wants to literally murder every human individually one at a time in as cruel a way as possible. So, um, hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a bad look to be on their side. But also, yeah, I love all the human here, so Kanye Shrug. <laughs> what, what do you want? I, I know what I'm about. But I feel like that's really all the, the, I mean, calling it problems would perhaps even be a bit much. Minor nitpicks. Yes, yeah, that, that's it for, like, the stuff that is, we'd be less comfortable calling, un, you know, unqualified goods. There, let's, let's call it like that. <laughs> even though, like, it's strong writing, and, um, I mean, I know we're going to get into it, but Sono... Naki just zipping by guy. Yeah, it's tasty. It's it's sweet, sweet candy. But uh we're we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get there, but first, you know, we're gonna go through the good stuff in both episodes in something approaching a chronological order. So uh hey, guess what, dear listener? Uh we continue to think Zero One is a very good show. Just in case you, in case you didn't want to listen to the rest of the episode, but you should, or maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. I don't know your life. Um, let, so no, let's get into the good stuff in thirty six. Okay, Fua awkwardly denying he's in line for a fortune teller was incredibly cute. Like even if he's going through this existential crisis of having to relearn his whole identity, he's still got to look cool in front of his boss friend. 
Yeah, which, I mean, look. Friend boss? Yeah, whatever, whatever they are to each other. But, I mean, I will say this. Given that we've learned that he's actually an incredibly normal person, wanting to look cool in front of your boss, who is also your friend, uh, makes sense. That's incredibly normal. Though the actual revelations that come up when he does talk to the Yumagir fortune teller, it made me kind of feel for him. Because I hadn't really thought about his family at all up until that point, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me that they would have also died in Daybreak if he was living and going to school there and was, like, 12. Mm. Like, realizing they were alive and fine the whole time must have hit the poor guy like a truck. Yeah, and look, the guy playing Fua really sells it. Because, like, if he was just a little less into some of this stuff, I I think I would be putting this whole subplot in the bad stuff section. Because... Like, he hasn't been banging on about, like, I lost everything at daybreak! Or or had, like, a super intense moment where he, like, gets in some Humagear's face about how these filthy robots took his life away from him, or they killed his family in front of him, or, you know, whatever. Just, it, it shouldn't work. It should be face-planting, because it's, like you said, it's not a thing either of us... You haven't thought about it that much. It's just been sort of this background thing. But then the way the guy playing Fua, like, the way he acts it, the way he plays it, the way they do the, the, just him dealing with this whole idea, it fills in a lot of that stuff for you. Which, I mean, that's pretty impressive, because I know I talk a lot about writing structure, and, and stuff like that, because that's the stuff that I am interested in. That's just kind of where I'm at. That's not the only thing to be interested in, of course. But but dang if a lot of Fua's performance doesn't do a great job highlighting what a solid performance can do to shore up those times where, like, hey, we didn't have a chance to get into it, but the impact is there all the same, because he's that good. I think it's kind of better that they didn't, and kind of just left that implied, because Fua's whole thing has been, I have seen what Yumagir can do, and I want them stopped. That, up until he kind of came around on Yumagir, that was his position. It was never specifically, the Yumagir have taken from me. And... Y'all know I love Double, and I love Excel, but there was a lot of Terry that was sometimes really hard to buy, because there were these very specific things about his revenge quest, where he was like, I am angsty because my entire family has died because I saw them turn to ice and shatter, and I know that it, it was someone with ice powers who came and murdered my entire family in front of me. And then he would run up to a Dopont whose powers were very blatantly not ice-related and were one time fire-related 
and was like, are you the Dopant who killed my family? And I'm like, buddy, they're obviously not. You should want to stop them from hurting people because you should want to not see this happen to other people, which is what Fua's thing is. That's very much where he seems to be laying his his principles. But Terui was so wrapped up in his revenge quest, which was his plotline and is fine. Y'all know the scene where he's like, I'm not going to become a being of hate and revenge, I'm here to forgive you, is one of my favorite scenes in Kamen Rider. But there were times where it was hard to understand why he was so, like, why he was believing this person could be the one who killed his family when they obviously were not because the facts don't line up. You're a cop. You're supposed to notice these things. This is a show about detectives. Yeah. So it's, I, I feel, again, this is not, hey, this is X character done right. Oh, it's yeah, no. more, these are, Fua and Terui are operating under very similar ideas, and I feel like it's another one of those things where Yuya has taken a look at other examples of the idea he wants to portray, and found the flaws in it to try and fix them. Which he's obviously also done with his own writing, because Fua did not turn out like Hero. Yeah. Even which though was my he biggest could have fear. done. Oh boy. He could have. It was- there were so- there was so much of Hero's archetype in Fua at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. that I was very afraid that's what was gonna happen. Yeah, because we- boy, we didn't need to do that a second time. We didn't need to do no, it the first. And, no, we really did not, but Fua is not Hero, even in the slightest. Yuya kind of learned from his own writing, he's learned from other people's writing. And he's really, we're going to talk a lot about Fua's arc, but he's hes really made some really beautiful character studies in this show. It's very true. So y'all would not believe how upset I got when the arc shoved all of Jin, Ikazuchi, and Naki back, and Naki, like, hits the wall and is damaged. It was a brilliant move. Because it sets the tone for the arc as a character right out of the gate. He does not care about other Yumagir. He is not doing this to protect them or be their savior. He will destroy as many Yumagir as he needs to in order to get rid of humans. Yeah, it's it's such a perfect inversion of the we protect what we love, not destroy what we hate ethos that is sort of what Aruto and company bring. Like, he's only there to murder, and even as we might understand the why of all the murder, what, you know, with being built by Guy and everything, and, like, look, if we had, if I had to have a lot, that much Guy in my life, I'd probably be about murdering people, too. Let's be real. Uh, but the fact that he's not there for the Humagear, and he only cares about that murder, makes hating him, and also being afraid of him, very easy, which is really impressive because like it shouldn't work he just got here yeah it should but feel from, like... that is this is the instant of his arrival yeah like this this should feel like in in uh q ranger 
when President Hot Wings shows up and is just the best and the greatest and the most powerful forever. And you're just like, oh, come on. Like, it should be a, oh, come on moment. But instead, it's like, they, they frame it, the build-up, the acting, the effects. Oh my god, the effects. I'm gonna get to that. Um, but, like, you buy it. <laughs> you buy it in an instant. Especially since, again, like you said, his first action is, oh, hey, I just hurt Naki. Again. Uh. And I do love that at least, you know, the instant it happens, Ikazuki Ikazuchi is immediately there, like, scooping up Naki and getting them to the printer to get them fixed up. Because the arc doesn't care. That is what this scene provides us. But it also provides us compassion and the seed of redemption for the last member of Metsubo Jinrai. We've now seen it from all of them. Seriously, like, also, I just want to say, with, with the just the nasty sparking out of one side of Naki's headpiece, I couldn't help but connect it to Naki being shot in the head by Guy. It just, it felt like... It sure did bring back that exact emotion. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's such a mirroring of that. Just, I like that they're just basically letting us know, hey, if you hate Guy, this guy is basically Guy times a thousand. Ah, uh, of course I said a thousand. Ugh. But honestly, they are just setting up so many illusions to Guy throughout Ark's first moments, and and it's hard not to see what Common Rider Zero One thinks human evil is all about. And it's it's back to that bit from Terry Pratchett I love so well that I brought up way back when. But it's just the idea that sin is treating people like things. Anyway, I just I just wanted to to bring that back up because uh you shouldn't ought to think about people in that kind of way and and you just shouldn't it's not a good way to think about people people are people can be awful but if you don't recognize their their humanity or personhood it's, uh, you're on a you're on a rough track also hey since we're mentioning the arc I realize we're going to talk about, like, the suit, and we could just talk about this bit later, but I want to talk about it now. Which is seeing its first transformation and the way it manifests as just this this scream followed by these kind of hellish, gibbering, nightmare blob forms. Just, it looks like you'd expect an AI built on hatred and madness and pain to look. Like, we start out with the weird nanotech polygon leading into the horror ball that jumps around between the people, and that becomes the snake monster just sort of swimming in and out of people's flesh or, you know, ceramic plating, whatever. And then when it transforms, it's, again, it's screaming, and you have these, like, formless takes on what I feel like are supposed to be the animals from the Progrise Keys, and just, like, look, we aren't even to the suit yet. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the suit, but that's the end of the, of the thing. I'm just so in love with the massive, swaggering, just evil that Ark brings. It's just such a good everything. It is. It, it feels like such a physical extension of that, like, just screaming void of malice that we first saw the arc as. And, like, 
I totally believe that, oh yeah, this is this is a creature made of, of pain and hate and madness, and it is going to murder you. And by you, I mean me, personally. It's going to reach out from the TV and throttle me to death. Why? Because it can. There's a, a, a thing I've heard people talk about, like, as with uh, Doctor Who, where there was a certain era where a lot of kids would watch it from behind the couch, because, like, the Daleks... Yeah, sure, we can laugh at how silly they look, but there is there is just this concentrated malice to them that just, it can hit a kid really hard because even though they aren't scary looking, they are just pure shrieking hatred. <laughs> and you get that from the first moment. And, like, I can see a lot of kids just watching bits with with the arc from behind the couch or like between their fingers because it's it is so much yeah he's scary yeah which like look it's been a minute since we've seen a common rider anything that scary yeah which you know look this is this is the first one of the new era come out swinging <laughs> anyway sorry i just i'm very in love with it so I like the implication that is made by Yua just kind of running in as Jin, you know, is chasing Arkorobi. That Yua just kind of is now Metsubo Jinrai's neighbor down the hall. I, I also got that impression. Or, or at least the implication that she's been crashing on Jin's couch for a minute, because, like... Look, she's probably got a lot of ugly stuff tied up with the apartment that she paid for with all that Zaya money. See, knowing how much Guy enjoys controlling his people, and especially controlling her, I wouldn't be surprised if she'd been in company housing. Which means that she probably doesn't have access to a home anymore. She, I don't think she really has anywhere else to go back to. I wouldn't surprise me, because, I mean, Guy's Iron Man is clearly big on basically every other kind of abuse. Why not financial as well, that human garbage fire? Yeah, I think she maybe, like, went and got out as much as she could before they changed the locks. Which is why she, like, has some other clothes. And has just been living with Metsubo Jinrai since Jin and Hirobi were like, Hey, come help us get Naki out of your friend's head. I mean, look, in fairness, like, okay, I will help you, but guys, seriously, I just, I need a place to crash. <laughs> we cool? Yeah, sure, man, whatever. I mean, I gotta imagine there's a lot of, like, empty apartments in the giant crater of a city that is Daybreak Town. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there are enough buildings sort of, of you know, just above the waterline. They'll be fine. It's just... Yeah. And speaking of Yua, I have to give uh, Igeta Hiroe a lot of props across these two episodes. Between her first encounter with Arc Zero and then recounting that fight for Fua in the hospital, this lady knows how to convincingly act some of the deepest, most bone-chilling fear and hopelessness and despair that I have ever seen. Yeah, it really is just so good. 
she... Like, they should have put her back in Wizard. Right? That would have been amazing. But she just really gets across the idea of it's too big. Like, we've been fighting a lot of stuff, but we've been fighting people, now we're fighting a god. Nope. Just it. And given that we've also established that she's not quite in that shonen protagonist mindset, of course she's going to react like this. She has no reason to think that she could just be friends with people so hard that the arc will explode. Why would she think that? She has no evidence for that. And, like, look, you should be afraid of something like that. It's cruel, and it's powerful, and that is the worst combination of things for a thing to be. Yeah, and it's... And I think, like, we talked about this back during her whole I don't have dreams, but I have principles thing, uh, which is just A+. plus. Yeah, um, that is my the thing favorite. is that she comes really close to doing a 180 on the whole genre-savvy thing, which is a thing that I just really adore. And no matter how many times she sees the genre at play... Like, cause she see she's seen it. She's seen everyone give these speeches about dreams, and suddenly they're more powerful. But she can't quite grasp that that's what's doing it. She can't wrap her head around punch it with friendship as the solution. Which, I mean, in fairness, <laughs> get that. <laughs> yeah, I I love it. I I love a character like that. In, like, a shonen action series. It's my favorite thing. It's how Gaim almost had me. And they almost—they did it with Takatora for, like, three seconds. And then didn't anymore. Yeah, well... And, then I, and once you put that in front of me and then take it away, that was it. That was the final straw. But I love that. Yeah, and it's, it's a thing you don't see near often enough. Because I feel like half the fun of a of the the big happy hyper shonen protagonist is that moment where you're like, okay, you you think what you're gonna friendship at it? Like honestly, I think that's one of the the many strengths of Forza, which is the first like third of the show is just okay. Actually, no, Gentro just can be friends. At something so hard that he, when he punches it, it explodes. He's just that good. And the entire first third is everyone in the show just going like, that's fake. That's stupid. No. The Jake arc especially. Where he's just like, yeah, nah, look, you're good at fighting. I'm just going to be your friend because a lot of people want to kick me in the face. So... You go fight them. It's cool. I don't believe in friendship. And then by the end of the series, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does believe in friendship, and he understands that friendship is is the key. Man, remember that? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to get off topic for just a sec. Remember that bit in uh, when they had not a what was the one where they had not a the first time? Was that the Mega Max? Mega Max. That was Mega Max. Yeah. yeah. And, and, like, he's there like, look, I can't really help you fight, but I've got a tissue to help you dry your tears. That is still, like, one of the most powerful moments for me. 
Because, like, yeah, man, Jake, Jake, honestly, the whole Common Rider Club are great, but maybe it's just, uh, you know, that a lot of the people I hang out with have special places in their hearts for Jake, but, man, I really like Jake. It's, I love, look, him and Miu are my whole thing. Love them, love them to death. I feel like they had the greatest separate and combined arcs, because seeing the two of them grow together where you know because the the first time we really see them alone together is in the shun arc because everyone is in detention but them and he like watches me walk up to hound and like tell it off and like i'll bust out those gifts every time because the way he is terrified up until she starts walking in and he becomes so fascinated by her that he has forgotten they're fighting a monster. And, like, my prescription strength shipping goggles aside, I think it's this thing where Mew is what he wants to be. Because Mew has all of that social power and control where she, at, especially at that point, where she doesn't need friends, but also... No one wants to kick her in the face because they like she has so much social power that she is the one who gets to say who gets kicked in the face. I mean, this is after a whole arc that was basically uh, her being the 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 queen of the school and getting there by saying, "No, none of you give me gifts that are good enough." Because all the gifts you give me are about you. And somehow she does that in a way that makes you like her. Yeah. That's... It's amazing. Yeah. She is an... I've, I've written the whole essays on that specifically because it's amazing. She is an amazingly realized character. And the way that her and Jake kind of grow around each other... Because um, they, they spend kind of a a weird amount of time in the background of the show together. That's they true. are almost always together, uh, which was great fun for me at the time mm. as the person who shipped that super hard. <laughs> and I don't mean A, I mean the, Because it was just me. Yeah. As per usual. Um, but they kind of learn to be people together and to to let go of both of their needs for social control by being part of this friend group. And, like, by learning to redirect their need for social control, they learn to let go of it. It's very good. Forza really is so is. good. One day we're gonna have a point where we can sit down and actually, like, talk about Forza. Um, I, I would not mind it, because, uh, like, I, I used to think it was a perfect show. I, you know, I've grown out of that, but, uh, boy, it is, it is, like, if it's not five star, it's four and a half, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, like, look, it's, it's a 9.5. Yeah. It's a 9.5 out of 10. It's, yeah, it, it's... It's not the best. Like the the series, only but it's my problem favorite. is that they didn't 
they didn't lean as hard into every story being about the club as they should have. Too much of it was about other kids in the school, and I think that muddied the water for a lot of the middle of the show. Mm. And that's really the only problem I feel the show has, aside from the the Hayami, like, double-double-cross. That was stupid. <laughs> that was stupid and didn't work, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> to this day, I'm furious about it. That's that's fair. Uh, it was dumb. It, he, he should have... It doesn't actually make sense. Um... He should have just double-crossed the chairman and been on the kid's side and, like, died fighting with them if he had to die. I don't know. Also, they left Sonoda on the satellite, and I'm also mad about that, but, you know, whatever. Maybe she just didn't want to come back at the end of the show. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Zero one. Um, it's... Back to Yua, because she's amazing. And the amazing acting that she did in this first hospital scene. Like, everything... Like, I feel for her. Because everything she does to try to fix her mistakes keeps backfiring. She's like, I'm gonna help Fua by getting this Yuma gear out of his head. Oops, I made... The problem worse. Oh no, oh, it's no. Mitzvah he Jim fixed Rai. it. It's it's fine. Um, I'm gonna help Jin defeat the Ark. Oops, we made it stronger. Now we're gonna die. Like I feel for her because she's so used to being in control and being three steps ahead that an enemy like this has got to be like exceptionally overwhelming for her. Yeah. And look, as a, as a bit of control freak myself, all I can say is, you a girl? Same. Feel it. Because, I mean, that's that's the thing about control. It, uh, it sounds great, but if you don't have it, chasing it will only make everyone miserable. And honestly, even if you have it, uh, it's, it's usually not all it's cracked up to be. It's, uh... Terry Crews once made one of my favorite observations, which is that you can control someone or you can love someone. You can't do both. I was like, I'm paraphrasing there, but like, that's a good sentiment. I like that. But you know, you was still learning how to love. And she's getting there. Yeah. It's, it's been like a week. Yeah. And look, the show is, she's a, working on the it. show is ultimately about everyone learning how to love. And, um, Hey, you know what I'm about? <laughs> I'm about exactly that. We're doing a show about cool robots and and the ex and just sort of like the fact that marginalization is a constructed thing, and because it is constructed, we can deconstruct it and make a better world. And the key to that, of course, is love. And that's just baby, that's beautiful. <laughs> I, I I wish things were that easy. Or rather I wish that we had more Yuas in the in the uh mechanisms of control and fewer guys. Um I do want to know how far back uh this is what we've been planning for goes with Yua and Jin. Yeah. 
like, was it a secret plan they've had from the point where Metsubo Jinrai took her in, in order, like, as part of freeing Naki? Or does it go back further? Um, the implication in 35.5 is that the person that Jin calls at the end of the episode is whoever rebuilt him. And since it comes on the heels of Azu asking who rebuilt him and Jin not answering. Mm. And the context of the call now implies that the call was to Yua, since it was about their plan to defeat the Ark. But Yua being taken in by Metsubo Jinrai comes directly on the heels of her great resignation. And the idea of her acting in secret against Guy prior to that doesn't feel quite right when put up alongside the existence of Yua as fighting Jackal. Um, we also see Jin upload the Ark's combat data to somewhere in, in episode 36. But... Yua is in the hospital by then. And maybe they have some remote computer that they're using somewhere. Maybe she's, you know, stolen the Ames van. I mean, she does... But I've got, we've got no evidence of that. She does talk about its combat potential, so... I don't know. Yeah, it's... I just... I don't know... I, I don't have any evidence of that being the case. If they told me that Yua had been doing this with Jin in secret from the time that he re-emerged as Burning Falcon, I'd believe it. I wouldn't have any complaints. She's been rebuilding Metsubo Jinrai Yumagir behind people's backs in opposition to the agenda she's supposedly been working toward pretty much the entire show. This would be the third time she's done it. So if they told me she did it again and had been keeping it a secret, like, fine. I'm fine with that. I wouldn't argue it. Um, but right now, the pieces don't 100% line up, so I'm just curious as to how they fit together. Yeah, there definitely feels like there's a step missing. And look, maybe that's just how Yuya and Messiah are gonna do, where sometimes you just gotta shrug and accept the latest leap of logic, and if that's just sort of a part of how they do storytelling, I mean, I get it. Because, like, they are running up against a time crunch. But at the same time, I, I, I'm I, not saying I wouldn't mind some filling in of those blanks, because, uh... <sighs> like, if we're supposed to take from this that she's the one who put him back together and been his ally in secret for a while, I can roll with it. But just a little more explication would be cool. Yeah, I just, I need those holes filled in. Yeah. I do love that even as the vice president is giving his, uh, I guess, you know, press speech or whatever that is in Guy's office, you can kind of see on his face the internal logic of, if the Zaya spec are this dangerous, we should be recalling them like we did with Yumagir, not trying to sell a countermeasure. And you can, like, see him hit that breaking point as he's mocked for that. Yeah. Like, he's stuck with his job because he believes in Hiden as a company, and he wants to protect his employees. But, you know, much like Guy did with Yua on an individual level, he is now stripping away the dream and trying to strip away the principles of Hiden as a company, and Fukuzoe ain't having it. Yeah, it's seriously so good to see him getting to be that guy again. Because I've enjoyed him as a comedic foil and a minor obstacle. 
but he's amazing as a guy who's running up against the limits of what he'll put up with in the name of his job. Because, again, that was my favorite part of him in the, uh, was it, uh, Raywell First Generation movie. Just seeing the, the part of him that is kind of noble. Because we only ever saw flashes of it, and now we're seeing a lot more of it, and it rules. Yeah. I also appreciate that there's there is a motif in the series proper about people putting up with a lot in the name of the status quo, but after a certain point, they gotta pull a Popeye. They've had all they can stands, they can't stands no more. And, I mean, look, I realize that they're not gonna have, uh, especially in in pandemic times, uh, an arc about a big social protest with him at the front of it. Uh, but it's 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 nice just to have an arc about, hey, no, we're not going to take this. This is, we will put up with a lot for the sake of social harmony. This is too far. You, you have asked too much. That's, I like that. Yeah. Though I do love that in the commercial for the Raid Riser, the person using it is just this, like, angry grandma. Like, get it, lady. Yeah. I love that they just picked this really ordinary-looking older woman to just bust out a belt. Yeah. And be like, bring it. Yeah, I mean, look, not for nothing, I I saw that ad and I'm like, I want a Raid Riser. Let me go buy a Raid Riser. It's awesome. I'll be a common Rider. And I gotta admit, Guy is way more convincing in selling his, like, evil common Rider belt than, uh, Masamune was. Yeah, which, I mean, that's saying something. But, like, look, again, great ad, bad product, but great ad. Because it's, I will say this, though, it is it is hampered ever so slightly by the fact that the kid that awesome grandma is protecting is just not selling it at all like he's just kind of looking off to the side like they i don't think they did like a third take <laughs> which you know that's fine because that it's more fun for me because it it sort of helps frame it as this swaggering gun culture thing because okay here's grandma look at me i have a gun Nothing bad can happen because I have a gun. No, I don't care that it makes everyone else uncomfortable. I have a gun that will prevent any bad things from happening because of gun. And the kid's just like, I literally don't see the problem that this thing is meant to be solving. I just, he's just, he's like, he's looking around, he's just holding that leak, and just like, I don't know what's, I don't get it. Why are you so aggro, Grandma? And, um, I don't know, that feels like a 2020 mood. Yeah. Heck, kind of a 2019 God. mood, really. Because I don't know, I'm not in the States anymore, I don't know the, the Venn diagram overlap between people not wearing masks and people open carrying their firearms, but I imagine it's pretty close to a circle. Yeah, I mean, I don't know because I, I am... 99% sure we do not have open carry in New Jersey. I don't think you're allowed to do that here. Um, I, I mean, I don't know our gun laws because I don't have any guns. 
but I don't, I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to do that here, so I, it's not a thing that I'm aware of. Yeah, I just, I just remember working at a video store and a dude walks in with just, there's just a gun on his hip, and it was kind of a thing, because I'm like, hey man, could you like leave it in your car? You don't need it. Hey, are you trying to, to interrupt my Second Amendment rights? No, man, I'm just asking you to leave it in your car. I'm not saying you can't come in, I'm just... Could you not? Do we need a gun in here? I'm just renting you videos. I have stories about people, like, wanting guns. Being Like, a thing happens and they're like, oh, I'm gonna go buy a gun. And I'm like, no, that implies some things. But, you know, that's neither here or there. This isn't the place where I want to tell those stories. Yeah, like, look, we're not... I'm not saying you're evil if you own a gun, just, um... There's there's definitely a certain strain of gun culture that makes me very uncomfortable. And and I appreciate how, how well they tapped into it with the, uh... The Raid Riser ad. Man, when, when Guy says that they have to recontextualize the truth for financial gain... That that hit a little too close to reality, and I got really mad. Like, again, I don't know how they keep making me hate him more, but they're doing it. Yeah, no, you, you are not even kidding a little. That line is so freaking golden, which I guess makes sense, because it is Bowser who's saying it. But, like, even if you didn't know who Amatsu Guy was... If you just take that a screen cap of that and just put it somewhere, yeah, people get who that character is. And also you get a feeling that maybe, just maybe, now hear me out here, Sono, I'm about to go way out on a limb here, uh, maybe the folks writing Zero One have uh, a skeptical view of big corporate power. Call, call me crazy, I don't know where I'm getting that from. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's not like this is the second out of two shows where the lead writer has made capitalism the main villain or anything. Yeah, so weird. Hmm. I don't know where we're getting it, Zono. Just, just a yeah. gut feeling. Uh, speaking of gut feelings, I love Aichan. That is I correct. love the idea of Aichan. Like, I'm sure Hidden Intelligence made therapist Yuma Gears, especially since they started out in medical assistance. But a therapist can't, like, very bluntly say to you, Look, stupid, you obviously want to go see your family. Just go see them, idiot. Like, the way that a friend can, the way that a friend can, like, kind of very bluntly be like, You're being an idiot. And Fuin needs to be told that he's being an idiot and should just go. Because that's what he wants. And, like, look, talk about a product that would sell so good here in this hell world of alienation and horror. Especially since I gotta believe that inside Ai-chan, and look, this is pure conjecture, but it also seems like a thing Aruto would think about. Like, there's code in there. So she'll say things like, hey now, is it really immigrants that's the problem here? You're smarter than that. Anyway, um, I just, I really like Aichan, and I like the thought that there's just, like, anti-fascist programming in there. Because, um, 
It's just, you know, like, Fua needs to talk to a friend who cares, but can also be brutally honest with him and won't kind of hedge the conversation. And this is the kind of Yumagir that only Aruto can make, especially, you know, with how we saw his grandfather think about Yumagir in first generation. He couldn't have made a Yumagir like this. Like, this is a Yumagir not meant for the workforce, but one that is meant to not just live alongside humans, but with humans. And I'm sure there are concerns to be raised about her autonomy with the fact that she doesn't have an actual body, but look, he just made the girl ten minutes ago. I'm sure that's something he can work out over time, and if she asked to be moved to a humanoid body, I'm pretty sure they'd just do it. I mean, look, that is that is the one potential problem I have, but until it becomes an issue, as long as she's cool with being disembodied, like, yeah, it's a cool idea. I, I really like the idea of an Alexa, is that is that the one? The, the, yes. Yeah. Uh, or, or a Google Home, or whatever, that's not a freaking spy machine that's there to record your stuff and, you know, algorithmically connect ideas to make you easier to advertise to. I think they're brilliant products. Don't get me wrong, but also, um... Sinister. They are. I don't trust them. Uh, I don't have one in my home. I never would if I could avoid it. Um, anyway, just... I, I like the idea of, of one of those that is not there to facilitate the purchase of goods, but instead just wants to help you figure your stuff out in a day-to-day -day way, because, like, that's a good product, especially since it's not telling you what you want to hear. It's telling you what you need to hear, and it calls you on your nonsense, which, again, that was my favorite bit with Fua. It's just like, hey, man, stop making excuses. Do it or don't. And I mean, look, they're kind of on point with the idea of sometimes it's easier to talk about this stuff when you're not face-to-face. -face <sighs> because the last thing that Fua, or me, wants is to have to worry about misreading people's micro-expressions of how hard they're judging us on our problems and our inability to solve our problems by ourselves. So know why you gotta call me out like that. That's not nice. Look, I called myself out, too. Yeah, I know. I just... Whew. That, you, you just, you, you went for my guts there. That wasn't nice. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. And it's just, you know, I'm sure that, like, if she wanted to be put in an actual body, they would do it and keep her, like, connected to the little speaker so Fua could, like, go somewhere else to talk to her. And then, like, hang out with her at home. Yeah, it's just... Like, I don't know, it's, I, because... It's that thing where in first generation, Will went to Kuronosuke and is like, hey, okay, so with us, humans no longer need labor. What is the value put on our labor? Where I feel like if Will walked up to Aruto and said like, hey, what's the value of my labor? He'd be like, oh, you want to get paid? Yeah, here's a paycheck. Yeah, no problem. Here's a raise. Like, I'm, he'd be like, I'm already paying Yumagir, but here's a raise if you want one. And I feel like that's the difference between Aruto and Kuronosuke. And, again, that I, that Kuronosuke couldn't have built I. 
No. He couldn't have built Aichan. He's just, he's not there yet. Aruto is the one who is capable of that. And I feel like if she were to hit her singularity and have concerns about her situation, Aruto would do what he could to make it right. And that's kind of why I'm not worried about the autonomy, like the autonomy issue of her not having a body is because if it became an actual issue, Aruto would fix it. We know that. And like the fix would be an actual fix. And if it wasn't an actual fix, it'd be on its way, and he'd be working tirelessly to get the fix. And, and like, look, on, on top of that, I also think there's, uh, okay, there's this principle, I don't even remember where I heard it, called Talk to the Duck. Uh, it's a coding thing. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's used in coding, uh, for finding bugs in, in code that you've written. Interesting. Hmm. But it's, it's just the idea that Sometimes when it comes to figuring things out, you just need an excuse to to say those things out loud with your face. And something like I would be perfect for that, because sometimes it's not even about the feedback. It's just about talking to something and knowing that it's listening. And like, yeah, you can you can monologue in front of it and or you can just feel safe around it. And it doesn't matter so much because you're just processing out loud and sometimes yeah it's just, it's a duck the duck ain't gonna give you answers but the duck will be the reason you can find the answers because you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have found the answers if you weren't talking out loud in front of the duck yeah um the the specific thing is uh in programming you would have a rubber duck and you would have to like you're you're trying to find a, where the bug in your code is and you would line by line explain your code to the duck until you found the problem. I that's a good idea. I'm. Uh, it's it's very clever. Yeah, and it. I wish I'd known about that like when I was coding uh, in high school, because I probably would have been better at it. Mm, yeah, and I just I'm just at. It's it's how I get through problems when I'm, yeah, when I'm trying to be creative. So, yeah, love talking to the duck. God, that moment of the arc, like, crouching over Yua, who's on the ground, like, writhing in pain, telling her that he's going to exterminate every human on Earth, with a word that humans use to refer to getting rid of insects... Like, that was chilling. <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it really highlights, on top of everything else, like, good gravy, the arc is just, and I know I'm going to come back to this again and again, but it's just mean. It's, it's not just that it wants to exterminate mankind, it is that idea that it just wants to murder every human individually, one at a time. Which, like, look, uh... The end result is the same, but one is much worse than the other. <laughs> he's like Michael Myers from the Halloween films, but he's got ambition. And if there's one thing you don't want, it's a supernatural slasher who decides that they have a goal that is larger than terrorize this one city on Halloween. I mean, I guess, I guess in this case it is. He kind of just is starting at Tokyo, so he's kind of just terrorizing this one city. But he's not limiting it to one night. And he doesn't seem to care if it's just teenagers. Um, 
by the way, the 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 recent Halloween quad like what do you call it if the reboot isn't a reboot but they just ignore all of the sequels? They're resequeling? I don't know. But they're very good. Like it is very good and they're working on another one and I'm very excited. I hope they remain good as they continue making them. Mostly because, on top of everything else, Sono, dear listener, um, John Carpenter makes some of the most amazing music. It's just, it's these weird synthetic soundscapes. They're beautiful. I'm going to put a link to his band camp. He has a band camp, and he has released multiple albums on it, and um, they rule. Anyway, sorry, I just, uh, I, I was just reminded of John Carpenter. Uh, so I love Ikazuchi standing watch over Naki while they're being repaired. We've gotten so little time with him, especially since his return, that I wasn't sure what kind of relationship he'd have with the group, or how he'd be fitting into it, because he's never really existed that long as part of Metsubo Jinrai. Like, when he got in there, he died pretty much immediately, and immediately after he came back, we were dealing with the Ark. So we haven't really seen him get to be part of the group. But now that we are, he's slid back into that caring but slightly overprotective big brother role very solidly, and done it entirely through presence. Because, like, Naki is out, they can't talk. He's just there with them. And that's so solid. Like, you can just feel like, oh, yes, he has transposed those feelings that he had for Subaru onto Naki. Which, I mean, look, I'm glad someone is out there saying that they will protect Naki. Because Naki must be protected at all costs. Yes. And also, like, I really like Ikazuchi as that older brother type, and I hope that, as you suggested the last time, on, on Common Cast RX, that's part of what helps him shake off the the whole arc thing and helps him become the person he wants to be. Because, like, look, hate and indoctrination, they are very powerful things, but at least in the language of Common Rider, they ain't nothing compared to knowing how to listen to the power of love. Because, you know, we got it inside us. We just, we just gotta work on it, and I know that stuff's harder in the real world, but um, love, baby. So I'm gonna circle back to an earlier point I made for a second, so bear with me on this. Um, which is the idea of Yua being the one who rebuilt Jin. And I'm putting it here because of a specific scene that this is referring to, um, because I'm in kind of a weird place on this idea. I, I don't know how sold on it I am because all the pieces aren't quite in place. But there is one thing that has me really leaning on it, and it's that shot of Jin helplessly watching Yua's ICU room from, like, across the, the reception area. And this might get a little fanficy because I'm relying on a lot of not explicitly stated logic. Um, but please remember that I predicted Kyria coming back in X Aid entirely by the fact that his bike form in the opening theme never lost its eyes. So I feel like I've earned this. Yeah, go for it. 
So when we cut to that shot of Yua unconscious in the ICU, we see Jin two windows away. He is like, there's her room, there's a reception area, and then he is on the other side of that window into the reception area. So he is looking through two windows at her body that's struggling to stay alive, and he's obviously distressed and afraid. And when was the last time we saw Jin act like this? When Hirobi died. Mm. It was less restrained then because Jin was a much less mature version of himself, and Hirobi was very dead instead of just maybe going to be dead. But nonetheless, it's the only other time we've seen this emotion from him. And what is Jin's singularity? The love he has for his father. Why is Hirobi his father? Hirobi is the one who built him. Yua repaired Hirobi an assassin, but Jin would have had to have been entirely rebuilt from scratch because his original body was completely destroyed, which was not the case with Hirobi and Assassin. And we do know that from Azu's scan of Jin, he is running entirely new and unknown hardware and systems. Who do we know that can build those things? Yua. Well, she's an engineer by trade. And if Yua is the one who rebuilt Jin, by all of these pieces falling into place, it's very possible and likely that he now sees Yua as his mother. And that would explain a lot of his behavior with her from the point of her essentially joining Metsubo Jinrai up to this moment. Um, you know, how close he sticks around her when she's in daybreak. Um, you know, this current concern over her well-being. Even how awkward he was when Hirobi asks her to come to daybreak with them, because it's kind of like your like getting your parents who aren't together to go on vacation together with you. Oh, he's doing a parent trap. <laughs> Sorry, just like kind of. I like. I feel like that would be the awkwardness. He's like, "How is my dad going to react to my new mom?" And I'm not 100% on this, because again, those, those pieces that I mentioned before don't quite line up, but I think this is the possibility that I like the best, and that I think is the most interesting. I mean, look, I'm here for it, particularly since I, I very much enjoy the idea of you of being like, mother? Ha ha ha, wow, no. And then just no matter what happens from there, either her deciding that, okay, you know, yes, yeah, she does share with this, some kind of bond with this guy, and hey, maybe they could be something now, or just deciding, uh, yeah, no thanks, not a mom, never talk to me again, I just rebuilt you, goodbye. It's either way, it could be just such a great character beat for her, especially since she's got a lot of that young Ozawa energy. Because, like, I don't know, like, I'm... There's a lot of a lot of implications that could go there that I think would be interesting and some would be troubling. So I'm not sure because there's a part of me that's like, okay, awesome common rider, and they've they've like honestly she just has a common rider plot 
But once we bring, like, motherhood in, it's like, okay, are we going to start explicitly gendering her whole deal again? But on the other hand, there's nothing shameful about being a mom. Like, that's a cool thing to be. And it's just, there's a lot of, like, really fiddly gears there. But, I, you know, however they go with it, I'm, I'm here for it. Because, I don't know. Again, that that's a great way to do a, uh, uh, just... What, you know, everyone's arc is about learning how to love. And if she learns how to love her, her robot son, I'm cool with that. I think that'd be really nice, actually, because he deserves a parent who can love him. Because, like, Hirobi's trying. He just doesn't know he's trying. He's trying. He just doesn't really know how to get there. And now there's a really angry dude screaming in his head all the time. Yeah, which... Hmm. Makes it real difficult to concentrate on learning how to love your son. Yeah, like, look, being a people is a hard thing at the best of times. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine what it's like having to do with uh, some outside stranger just screaming into your brain all the time. I mean, I, I have trouble enough with just me screaming in my brain, and I don't have to listen to me. I mean, I do have to, like, I end up listening to me, but I don't have to care what I say, which is actually the source of many of my problems, and I'm just going to shut up because I, we're verging way too close to Uncomfortably Real this episode. I, though I have to say, I very much appreciate how much these Toei Tokusatsu shows that are made for literal children, they just body me. <laughs> they just walk up and kick me in the heart guts and make me, like, think about my whole life up to this point and get me all existential and it's, uh, it's really good, even if sometimes it's it's uncomfortable. Anyway, let's let's move on. So the scene with Fua's family, once we actually get to that, is so charming and explains everything about him. Even though he doesn't actually go talk to them at all, seeing his parents and his younger brother interact it's so easy to see how Fua fits into that dynamic and where elements of his personality come from. Like, they absolutely wrecked me with the fact that Fua likes Aruto's jokes because they're dad's because they're dad jokes, and specifically because they're his dad's jokes. They're just like the jokes his dad tells. And I feel like part of the way he, he interacts with Aruto comes from how he probably interacted with this younger brother. And it was just, it was all so sweet. And just Fua behind a tree doubled over because he thinks his dad is the funniest guy on the planet was so deeply heartwarming. And I can understand why he doesn't want to actually go back and talk to them right now. He's in really deep in some really dangerous stuff, and it would only drag them in. But seeing Fua at peace with himself was really nice, and I hope when the dust settles and, you know, we're in that epilogue of the last episode, we get to see Fua reunite with his family. Oh, big save. Because they, they seem like really wonderful people. And the thought of them welcoming their prodigal son back with open arms and some awful dad humor is just... I mean, that's really sweet. Especially since, in the context of all the Kamen Rider stuff Fua's had going on, their powerful normalness seems like it'd be really nice for him. 
because, like, I imagine there's a level where he just describes what his life has been for the past year, and he's like, wow, this sounds like something a crazy person would say. There's a microchip in my brain put there by my boss that allows me to shoot this gun and turn into a superhero. Also, that chip is a person who is actually pretty cool, except they're trying to kill me now. Like, boy, normal sounds really good when you just lay out his life like that. Also, I like to think that there's like some sort of uh, subconscious connection and that he colored he made he chose the colors for the shooting wolf armor because it's the same color as this car that his dad is taking care of and the same color as his dad's shirt and with his dad having like all the white hair and just kind of being a pasty dude i'm like wait did you just make the the armor subconsciously to evoke your dad because if so that's really cute (laughs) I mean, even even if it's not that, like, the visual storytelling in this show is just really solid, because the minute we see him on screen with, like, washing the car, we're like, yep, that's Phyllis. Yep. That's his dad. Like, you can tell it's, it's the blue and the white and the, the kind of, like, goofiness of him. That's Phyllis. The, that can't be anyone else's. Which, um, yeah, I'm here for it. It's really nice. Normally I'm not really here for, yeah, let's get them into the the perfect nuclear family, but it looks like a, it looks like a nice family. They seem nice. And it's like, the thing is, they, they don't feel like they're a perfect nuclear family. Like, I could see Fua or his brother having arguments. I could see one of them, like, arguing with the parents over something. Like, they... They don't feel like a perfect nuclear family. They just feel like a normal family. Yes, that's true. They just feel like a family. Because, I mean, the second we see his brother, his brother's like, hey, don't don't move my stuff without telling me. Like, don't come into my room without asking. And then they just kind of laugh about it. It's just really good. I just, I wish that uh, over time could have better translated the... Uh, what was going on with the futon because I could tell like they're doing their best but I'm guessing that was some deep deep punning because like yeah I'll lay you out like a futon like it's not actually that funny but none of them are that funny it just I could tell there was an extra layer that probably just doesn't translate well because again humor is hard to translate and as good as everyone has been doing so far like, that's, that's god-tier translation. Man, what is it about Yua and Fua and hospital scenes? Like, that really seems to be where the two of them are able to connect. And I guess, in a hosp- with one of them in a hospital, there's a level of separation from their jobs, and a vulnerability that comes with one of them being injured to the point of hospitalization that really lets them open up to one another. But man, they just... That minute of her, like, breaking down and being like, this is my fault. I I facilitated the arc getting out. And Fula just kind of, like, puts a hand on her back. 
Like, there was something about that physical connection between these two people who started out, like, in a power struggle with one another that really drove home how far they've both come. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned the power struggle, and on top of that, just Fool was kind of a D-bag to her at first. Just actively flouting her orders and just not listening to her. And that's why he got his whole, like, no, I will break this thing open even though I'm not allowed to use it deal. It's just, it's nice to see the both of them learning how to be vulnerable with one another. Like, the fact that that combativeness has kind of scaled down to playful bickering and teasing, and then we get to see them show how much they care about one another through that. Like, it, they started out as just co-workers who didn't like one another and who were, you know, trying to both be the boss of this unit. And we've seen the hellfire that they've marched through and it's just really nice to see how much they've evolved now that they've come out the other side. They've learned how to love. And even if they're still figuring it out, they're, they're at least trying to love each other. And uh, just, they're good writers, Brent. And, like, I hate to bring that great moment down, but, you know, you were being like, I this is my fault, I facilitated the arc getting out. And Aruto replying to that with, this is all also my fault because I gave them Ikazuchi's key, which he didn't do, it was stolen. Yeah, like, Jin stole yeah, it. They like, got it from you, but they didn't get it from you. <laughs> yeah, like, I get... On a narrative level, Aruto is taking this in and understanding the gravity of the situation because he has not yet fought the arc. But my or no, he had at that point. Had had he fought it at that point? Yeah, but... I don't know. There's there's a level which he that is when he kind of understands the gravity of the arc is now a common rider. But my immediate response to him saying that was, "Hey, kid, this isn't about you." Yeah, no, I, and look, not every moment can be a winner, but, yeah, protagonists tend to have that kind of thinking. And I really wouldn't have minded if, like, Fua or Yua just would have looked up and, like, hey, no, this isn't your fault. It's not about you right now, okay? In, just, in the story itself. But, you know, again, time crunch and not wanting to undercut a character who's honestly felt kind of backgrounded in the story with his name on it already. I get it, but also like Aruto, come on, dude. Like, look, I like Aruto. Aruto is a really weird presence in the show proper. Yeah, it, it's just a thing where it's like, this is this moment of Yua grieving her lack of control and the fact that everything she does to try and solve this situation backfires, and Aruto's like, oh, but it's my fault. Your fault? My fault. And I'm just like, Aruto, no. Let her have this. Like, look. Though I do love that Jin and Yua's plan relied on Jin's faith in Hirobi's strength. Because to Jin, like, it was just a given that Hirobi would be able to contain the Ark. That's his dad. It's his cool, strong, awesome dad who's finally starting to see the good in humanity. Of course he'll be able to contain the Ark. 
Like, Jin's grown up, but he's still a kid. Yeah, which, I mean, hey, that's why we like him. He's trying his best, and he's making mistakes, and I'm honestly just now realizing that Zero One has those structural commonalities with, like, Kiva and Fize, what with our main writer cast being complemented and contrasted with an opposition writer cast. Like, I'm not, stale, I'm not saying this is stealing from them, because these, they're very different shows, but um, I was just realizing that this is a nice bit of Heisei callback while still being its own thing. And I just, I just like Jin as sort of the the counter Aruto, and uh, also just believing in his cool robot dad. Because yeah, like because of of course, why wouldn't Hirobi be able? to? Yeah, I mean, Hirobi's cool. Hirobi did like jump in front of bullets for him. You know, okay, it was a while ago in the real world, but in in the story. It was like yesterday. He he didn't even know why he jumped in front of that bullet meant for Jin, but he did it. So therefore, he's he's moved beyond what the arc tried to make of him. So of course he could do it. Of course he could overcome it because Hirobi has a powerful love inside him, and I am sure that that is going to save the day. But he, like he's awakened to his selfhood, but in order to make in order to fight the arc he's going to have to awaken to the power of the love inside him and uh you need you need more episodes for that that's fine i adore fua leaving aichan with yua and telling her that i is a new friend and that's what yua needs right now like he's found peace and he's reaching out to someone he cares about to try and help her find peace that she arguably needs even more than he did. Because, like, Fua might have gotten there on his own. If he was kind of left to his own devices, he may have gotten so fed up with himself that he went to go look in on his family. But Yua has been so twisted and warped for so long that now that she's broken free, she's got arguably less control over her life and situation than she did under Zaya. Like I brought up, she's probably homeless at the moment. Yep. And Fua definitely knows he's useless on the level of being emotionally helpful. He is his own special kind of disaster, and even with the strides he's made, the fact that he needed Aichan means that he doesn't know how to help himself right now, much less another person. But he can offer the help that he's received, and that's his way of showing he cares. Yeah, which is just, it's beautiful. And and there is this thing where he's also learned the big lesson that in, in this very not showy way, which is that it's not about you being the big hero and saving the day. It's, you know, it's about meeting people where they're at and doing what you can do while also providing the tools to help other people get out of the hole they're in. And yeah, sometimes... The only tool you've got is the one you used, and I mean that's that's how we muddle through, baby. <laughs> like, it might feel cooler to save someone from themselves with the the big gesture, but like when it comes to the deep mind messing that you has had done to her, there's no magic wand solution. I, I wish there was, but you know, there's there's doing your best for your friends, and that's. 
you know, that's what you can do. And we'd love to fix everything, but I don't know. I just, I appreciate that the show is showing that there are lingering consequences. Like, that's a laudable thing in a hero show, if only because a lot of hero narratives show trauma as, and pain as things you just, you, you, you push past them, you shrug them off, and they're just gone forever. And that punching this one person will solve all your stuff when, like, look, we all wish that would happen. <laughs> that would be, like, look, it'd be great if you could just find the, the guys I am man in your life and just punch them in the face and all your problems would go away. But, like, that's not how things are. And, no. you know, props to Common Rider Zero One for, like, bringing that to the kids, because... In a show where you can write or kick your problems away, it's it's really good to be like, yeah, that you can't write or kick all of your problems away, though. <laughs> you can you can write or kick to stop a bigger problem from happening. You can stand between other people and the terror, but you're still gonna need help, baby, because um, ain't, ain't ain't none of us get through this on our own. Yeah. We all, like if you're lucky, you get an izu. Most of us will, will still be pretty lucky if we can just get a Fua, you know? <laughs> it's, a uh, hmm. Kamen Rider Zero One comes from, like, feels like it comes from a good place and some decent people. That's that's mostly what yeah. I'm saying. I'm sorry, I'm getting uncomfortably real again. Let's move on. Fua uh, crossing the barrier into Dave, like, hopping over that roadblock and immediately being disabled by the chip in his head was a punch to the guts. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, not quite in the same way it was with Yua, where I'm like, come on, buddy, that's a low blow. Because, like, that felt like the arc being cruel, which is fine on a narrative level, because that is the arc's thing. It's what it does. But with Fua, that felt more like a declaration of war. Like, they have crossed the line into his territory, they're on his playing field, and now he's got the advantage, and he wants to make that clear from the instant they cross that line. Yeah, which, I mean, look, that is a power move. <laughs> also, that, like, they did it on that bridge and tunnel, because, at the very least, I, I connect that one with uh, the Kuga arc in Decade, because and that is from where, uh, like, the f one of the, the Grongi emerge as just sort of like, and also later Decade, because, you know, that, that tells you everything you need to know about him. But, uh, but also just it, but that thing where the Ark sh tries to shut down Fua, not entirely, but, you know, he's definitely messing with him, really lets Aruto have the there's only one person who can stop you, and it's me, moment, and have it really hit in that moment, and also in the story at large. Like, yes, he is going to need his friends to back him up, but still, end of the day, Ark can mess with the man-machine interface in the Ames Riders, but he doesn't seem to have the same grip on Zero-One, making it so that Zero-One can, you know, be the title character and do the thing. Yeah, which is interesting... With Metal Cluster being connected to the art. Yeah. I, I'm still wondering 
why we aren't doing something with that from the off, because I was thinking that'd be the first thing you'd go to. Like, oh, hey, I remember that suit. I made you that suit, remember? Puppet, puppet, puppet. Now kill your friend. Because, like, that's what I was waiting for. Yeah, I'm wondering if we just maybe didn't have time within this episode? I'm sort of feeling like the time crunch is what's stopping that, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like that's going to be a point, because I do know that Arto's gonna have one more form. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, there is definitely one more form, even though it feels very late in the game for that. But I feel, I'm wondering if that's maybe how we're going to make that transition. I mean, like, look, I will say this. Um, there is one other show that did a, a form change in, you know, super late in the game. And that show was Kuga, and this show is, this show's yeah, it is. going after it. Man, if, look, I'm just saying, if they can pull off a Kuga on top of all of the, the other great stuff they've been doing, yo. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be getting into, into wondering how it's going to end, because we're going to get there soon enough, but dang, I'm hype. And the reveal of Jin being the one in the arc yes. suit in that last fight was horrifying, but real good. Like, I was caught so off guard by it, because, you know, it had been Hirobi. I was expecting it to still be Hirobi. Even though, you know, the arc had, had already started messing with Jin by that point. But it, like, it just, it makes the arc into even bigger of a threat. Aruto was banking on being able to reach Hirobi, like, being able to reach into Hirobi's heart, but it was Jin. And Jin's already past accepting some part of the arc. He was trying to actively bring it down. He had already fully rejected it, and even he couldn't fight against it. Yeah, and it's just, it was such a powerful moment, and again, really made me respect how the arc messes with people. And especially when when he has that whole speech about, like, deceiving people and enjoying their suffering. This is what I have learned from humanity. Like, whew, he's the worst, but also he's the best at it. <laughs> and, like, it's his ethos and it's Guy's ethos. Uh, true. The Ark learned it from somewhere and the apple has not fallen far from the tree. Not even a little. Also, that bit of the arc briefly breaking into Fua was terrifying. That thing with the eyes freaked me out. I have a thing about eyes. Um, and I mean, this means the arc has two potential human hosts that Aruto won't want to fight for fear of hurting Fua and Yua. And the arc isn't going to fight fair. And he knows he's not going to fight fair, and he's announcing it as loud as he possibly can. Yeah, once more, that is a thousand percent Guy's Eye a Man's Baby. It just, he's, it's just trash. But I, I respect that at least it, it doesn't have the, the scummy Starscream side of being trash. It's just like, no, what's up? I'm a monster. I'm going to kill everything. What up? I'm Satan. How's it going? Um, that moves us on into 37. Yeah? Sound good? Yeah. Yes, and before we discuss anything else in 37, I want to congratulate Zero One, and specifically Nakayama Satsuki, 
for giving us our first non-binary common rider. Here, here. Hip, hip, hooray! I, I cheer a, a lot more proper, but boy, that is an awkward thing to do on your own. This means everything in the world to me. And I've been absolutely losing my mind since the preview for 37 dropped at the end of 36. I have been going absolutely wild. Um, two weeks ago, I, can't confirm. I was hoping that maybe, maybe we'd get to see Naki use Assault Wolf in a V-Cinema. Like, maybe that's, we'd get that. And this entire production, like, Kool-Aid Man kicked through a wall like, heck with that. Naki gets their own key and their own suit just for them and gets to debut on TV and be part of the show as a common Rider. And I feel like at least for the duration of Zero One, I can't call anyone at Toei a coward. Y'all still can? I'm gonna rely on y'all to do it for me? Because I can't. Yeah, no. Because they did it. They came through on this one. This is so far beyond what my jaded little heart could ever have hoped to receive. Especially when we've already got a core cast female writer in the show. Like, our third writer is is a woman. And, and like, her theme isn't lady. It's just, oh yeah, again... Yua's plot could just be a, just anyone. Just It could be a dude, and you wouldn't have to change anything. Yeah, so the fact that we already had that, I didn't. I really didn't think we'd get, get this, but Kamen Rider Naki is here, and they are radiant. Yeah, and I just, I really want to toss out some appreciation that on top of giving them a cool rider suit, and you best believe we're going to be talking about that suit, later. I also dig at how the suit is based on a wolf, because, yeah, clearly some after effects of liver literally having a room in Fua's head. But also that it's a Japanese wolf. Like, And maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, maybe I'm reading it weird, but it's hard for me not to feel like they're trying to drive home in this subtle way that, hey, non-binary people are our people. In this case, like, Japanese people. Which, like, look, I, I can't speak for how that would come across for a Japanese audience, uh, nor to the deeper politics surrounding that sort of low-key declaration. Uh, you know, corporations putting on rainbow flags once they think it's safe to do so is different from activists waving them during protests. But still, it's there's just that little bit of, of a feeling that that's the narrative reaching out and saying our non-binary siblings are a part of our culture, and we love them. And, uh, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I hadn't really thought about it on that level. I had put it more as Naki being in this space centered between Wolf, which is Fua, and Metsubo Jinrai in that the Japanese wolf is an extinct species of wolf. Oh, um, right, yeah. <laughs> given that Japan's LGBT climate not being much better, or maybe even slightly worse, given that we at least have marriage rights and are acknowledging non-binary... Like, in New Jersey, you can now be non-binary on your driver's license. Oh, yeah? Um, Sick. I, I think even in the good form of their sick. LGBT community doesn't 
quite fully acknowledge non-binary. I, again, I'm not deeply versed in this. I just kind of know what I know through talking to some people. Um, so I'm not sure how much that would be at play. But, I mean, Yuya does seem to at least have some good politics, so I don't know if maybe there's some level of that. Yeah, like, the intentionality is really up in the air. And I'd, I'd kind of forgotten. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I hate to be no, jaded. No, I'm it's good. more away from it uh, than into it. It's just, you know, it's, it's good to have a jaundiced eye when it comes to uh, corporate takes on any sort of LGBTQ representation, you know? It's... It's just, I'm happy that it's happening, but also, hmm, you, you, you gotta, you gotta wonder. You gotta be just a little side-eye. Again, like, the fact that Naki is here and a common Rider is great, I'm not sure if the fact that their key is Japanese wolf yeah. um, is part of yeah. that. Yeah, so, especially since, like, yeah, I'd forgotten their whole extinct animal motif, which, hmm, that. Anyway. I just, I like to have hope that that they're going for something good with that, but if they're not, look, I love Naki anyway, and want to see them have a happy ending in this thing, or at least a cool post-series movie, where, I don't know, they can get some upgrades and, and maybe tear some faces off, because I feel like they deserve that. Also, thank you to the fandom for just this one frickin' time not spoiling this for me, though I'm sure not for a lack of trying. <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta believe that there were some magazine scans, but people didn't put them in front of me either, so... Yeah, I mean, there definitely were, because I've now seen them, um, but I didn't see them prior to me watching 36 and seeing the preview for 37. I did not know, I didn't hear anything, um, where in the past, people have directly added me with that kind of thing. Because they want to, like, make me be the one to have the reaction, which is not fun for me. Yeah, no. Like, there, there, are t there are ways to add people where it's like, hey, here's a thing I think you would be interested in. But I know you've, you've been very, very plain spoken about your thoughts about spoilers. Yeah, it's, and it's because of the fact that people would come to me with these things. It, it's that me thing where it's like, you're not doing this for me. You're doing this for the self-satisfaction of you got to be the one to give me, to, like, have me get this news. Like, my, you get to take responsibility for how excited I am. Like, that's why you're doing it. And that's not fun for me. It's why I have, it's why I loathe the magazine scans. It's why I try to go so blindly into everything. Because I didn't used to be this way. I watched all of the press stuff for Drive. I was, like, I was in on all of the press stuff pretty much up until Ninja, and then, like, the magazine scans ruined Ninja for me. I couldn't enjoy Ninja because of the way people acted about the magazine scans. No, I dig it. So, you know, just this thing that's so important to me, I'm very grateful was not spoiled. 
I'm also happy because that's that's a surprise. I I I feel like you deserve. I feel like you've earned having that pleasant surprise. Like I I cried oh. when I watched the preview for thirty seven. When they show that shot of the four of them, and then you see them in the suits, and, and a new suit. you realize that is Naki, I cried. That's, that is how important this is to me. And we, we brought this up a little, but I cannot express how deeply I love that Naki's first act as a common Rider is the petty, deeply human act of publicly humiliating their abuser. Hell, yes, hell, yes, hell, yes. It was so good. Publicly humiliating this man who literally shot them in the head. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't encourage the real-life practice of violent revenge, but this is fiction, and getting to see that is deeply cathartic, especially from a non-binary person who has spent so much of this series being abused by capitalism. Yes. And, like, look, we here at the Toll Network are pretty anti-violence, as trying to beat up your problems is a big part of, well, how we kind of get into the situation where the whole world's on fire and people think that black lives don't matter or that stank sanctioned monopolies on force are more important than any actual justice. But, you know, same time, this is a show where the primary mode of engagement with metaphor is about how you're going to fight against a thing, and guy getting punked on super hard by someone he'd so aggressively depersonalized is, um, well, it's just sweet candy. Sweet, sweet candy. Like, is it complete justice? No. But is it satisfying to watch for that little sliver, that, that appetizer of justice? Yes. Yes, it is. Because it... That's the, that's just the first bit of the justice we want Naki to get. Yeah. And, it, like, it's not like they were going to fight him like that. They just did it and left. They were like, this is what I came to do. And, again, this you, you also have to acknowledge, this is a Naki who is currently warped by the Ark. This is a Naki who is deeply under the influence of the Ark. Um, and even still... It was this act of petty humiliation, not attempted harm. Even with all that malice of the Ark, they just wanted to humiliate him and leave. And leave him helpless and angry yep. in his underwear oh, in a parking lot. I still love that he has Zaya branded underwear. Because of course and he you can does. buy those on Premium Bandai. Of course you can. <laughs> Like, I'm not surprised, it's just, of course you can. Jin running in to protect Izu was super cute. I, I I really kind of like the dynamic between Jin and Izu, and I wish they got to talk more often. Same. Because uh, I, I think they could have some really interesting chemistry. Um, but man, seeing the arc, like, psychically lift him and toss him around like a ragdoll in response to his act of compassion was very scary. Yeah. So again, like, it does highlight something we've talked about before. You learn who a Zero-One rider is by the hits they take for others. And Jin, hey man, guess what? Jin's a common rider. Even if you didn't think he was before, he is now. It's, the arc is setting such a high bar for Rewa rider villains 
that I hope the next few shows can live up. And that's gonna be, that's gonna be some tough doing. Because <laughs> seriously, Ark's got such massive like Daguva or Shadow Moon vibes going on, and like it's it's evoking those things, and it's actually managing to live up to them. And I mean, look, you gotta, because it sucks when you try to bring up those big evil rioters or make a new one and you don't deliver. Like it just it sucks for everyone concerned when they don't deliver and I I would not want to be the person following this show. <laughs> like I would be praying they do like a, a Super Sentai strongest battle for Ryder. Just just like give us give us like a month to maybe come down from zero one just so we can go into the next one with a clean palette. I feel bad for Arto and how like clearly shaken up he is by this. Um because and he presents it as this is the first time he's realized that an AI that's just grown beyond human control into something this horrifying and that's enough to shake his faith in Yumagir. But he's so shaken by it that he doesn't realize that, like, one, this hasn't really shaken his faith in Yumagir. He's, it's, he's just seeing how bad the Ark situation is. And that he doesn't realize the Ark didn't become this way organically. It's not an AI that grew under the circumstances of, like, the same circumstances as Izu and decided to be this full of malice anyway. Guy made it this way by only exposing it to the worst. Because, boy, he and sucks then, so bad. Like, yeah, he's awful. And, like, again, as we circle back to the end of the episode, Arto hasn't lost faith in all Yuma gear. He knows that there are Yuma gear that are good and who grew past malice to become better people. It's just the potential for that malice that frightens him, which is honestly pretty reasonable when he can't control what will have an influence on every single Yumagir that he's put out into the world, because he can't be involved in all of their lives. Yeah, that's just not a thing any one person can do. And it's, it's such a good beat for him to get. Because, like, look, for all I, I tend to really despise the oh no, AI apocalypse, there's going to be a robot uprising, stuff that goes around, like, I get it. I, I don't like it, but I understand where people are coming from. The concept of a human future where we get treated the way we treat animals, that's, that's scary. The thought of a hate powerful enough to end the world, it's frightening. The idea that someone with a platform asking people to die, 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 so that money, which, by the way, is a thing we made up, you know, it's it's just, it's a thing we made up, can flow into the pockets of people who already have a lot of it, that's a nightmare. Uh, sorry, I just, I lost my train of thought, um, just reflecting on the horror. Um, just want to say the protests are still going on, and don't forget that folks protesting against systemic racism and violence are dang heroes, and they are protecting your life and your rights, because the things the police do to them... The police will use any acceptance of that violence to turn that violence on you. They do it to them so they can do it to you. Anyway, um, I really appreciate Aruto getting that long, dark tea time of the soul. 
because the idea of evil is one thing, but finding out that it's real and that it has power, that, that'll mess you up, man. <laughs> it'll, they'll shake you to the core. And I do kind of love that it's the vice president, who is this guy that started out as Arto's main opposition, who was trying to force him out of the company to be the one who's like, yo, heat and intelligence is your legacy to make something of. This is potential that was passed down to you, and you get to decide what to do with that. Don't waste it. And it kind of brings up the most important point. Like, he, he says this very important thing. Arto loves Yumagir more than anyone else does. Yeah, I just, seriously, I love the VP now. I don't know how it happened, but I really do. Because that moment should... I wouldn't have believed it at the start of the show, but they got me there. It's it's so good. Yeah, it's, I've become very fond of him, and I think First Generation is a big part of it. First Generation um, I kind of wish that I could have seen First Generation much earlier in the show to know that, like, his heart is in heat and intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, but I think really that sentiment is going to be the thing that tips this final battle between Zero One and Arc Zero in Aruto's favor. And it's that in Kamen Rider, love is always stronger than hate, and Aruto loves Yumagir more than the Arc hates humans. Yep. Absolutely. And again, just power of love, baby. And you are talking to I like Reshman. <laughs> to have someone neutral, someone who is among the people that Yua was made to hurt, talk to Yua like a normal person and tell her, like, hey, you were trying to do good and someone took advantage of that. Don't stop trying to do good because someone hurt you. And also tell her, like, hey, that dude's your friend. Yes, you hurt him, but if you feel bad, apologize. It'll work out. Like, that was so sweet. It really was. Honestly, go, go on. Just, it was nice seeing the contrast of how she talked to Fua, who needed someone to be very blunt with him, to how she talked to Yua, who needed someone who was a little more gentle. <laughs> But at the same time, like, I doesn't do a lot of, like, beating around the bush. She just, she just, she finds all the stuff that is clearly uh, dissembling or, or non, you know, just, just the BS we throw up because we're afraid to do the thing we know we have to do. And just seeing her cut through that, just, I love it so much. I really hope we get to see I help everyone through their faltering moments because she's clearly the friend everyone needs and I like the idea of her and her being like the heart of Hiden manufacturing like I don't know if her and Izu will ever need to have a conversation but uh, I hope they do because I don't know they seem like they could be good friends I also love 
Fukuzoe just finally snapping. Yeah. Like, he can get down with some slightly shadier business tactics, like trying to minimize responsibility for an unforeseen and unintended problem. But he does believe in Kuronosuke's dream of hidden intelligence being meant to help people and create a better world. And if the company is going to be made to go out of its way to cause a problem that will definitely get people hurt, if not killed, is just a bottle cap too far for him. Mm-hmm. And even though Aruto's shaken up, like, when Fukuzoe comes to him and is like, yo, I need Shesta, we gotta solve this, he doesn't hesitate on that thing that we have been wanting for weeks. Yeah. And he doesn't hesitate to reactivate Shesta and return her to her rightful place, making sure these two idiots over here can get their job done. Yep. Like, having the vice president see Shesta and immediately, like, turn into a golden retriever, being like, Hey! Hey, Shesta! My best and only friend, Shesta! I'm right here! See me! Shesta, it's me! Hi, Shesta! Like, that was so cute and betrays just how much he has really cared about her in spite of himself this whole time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, it's so good to see Shesta getting the love that, uh, you know, like, I was, I didn't even know I was going to give her. She's so good. <laughs> we did not plan for it. No. Um, and then they explain the plan to her, and Shesta's like, corporate espionage? It is about dang time! Like, I just went through the roof. Our corporate angel is an angel in the biblical sense, and I love her. Seriously, like, let's give her some energy wings and a flaming sword and, like, 30 more eyes and, like, give her the power to transform into some, like, rings that spin inside of other rings. She's just, she's amazing. And it's a good job for all of us that she didn't turn out to be the fourth member of Metsubo Jinrai, like I thought she was gonna, or the arc would just be like, uh, yes ma'am, you're so right ma'am, and just end up being her secretary. Not to mention, if Shesta was the fourth, we might not have got Naki. Not saying we wouldn't, but we might not have, and um, that would be a crime. Um, I would love if that scenario kind of happened anyway, though. Like, Shesta gets done dragging Guy for corporate misconduct, and he's kicked out of heat and intelligence, and she just pulls her gloves back on, like, okay, now I gotta go curse out this busted old man satellite so I can get back to being the only person on this show who does my dang job. Seriously, I do just want to see the bit where she just glares at the arc and we get those, those like, com- computer communication sounds, and the arc just stumbles back. It's like, oh, ah, it's like, you know, falls on his back, on his butt and stuff. And just everyone's like, Shesta, what did you say? And she just, you know, she opens her mouth, but they cover her mouth and there's a string of bleeps as just, as it is clear that she just whooped the arc's face in with the sheer force of her obscenely foul mouth. And everyone's just like horrified. And he's just like, where did you think I learned it from? Who do you think taught me this? Yeah, look, um, when I said, like, what is the most horrible thing you can say to someone, uh, like, I had to do the toned-down version. That was, like, Shesta not even trying. She wasn't even mad. (laughs) 
I just, I seriously love just the idea of her just, you you know how they say that in, in like when you, when you can do a really good, like off the top of your head, improvised rap, you are spitting hot fire. I, I want to see her like literally spit hot fire. She just, she just lays out a, a just a devastate, like her and MC check it out should hang out. That's what I want to see. Um, also, in in relation to her corporate espionage, yes. someone has translated all of Guy's misconduct that Chesta pulled up. Um, so I've put a link to that tweet thread in our as mentioned. It's like three or four tweets long of just things Guy has done. Um, but I do want to point out one of them, which was purchasing more luxury tea than necessary, because that one kills me. Like, the vast majority are things that, you know, we'd expect. Harassment, fraud, violation of labor laws, tax evasion, all of that stuff. But there's so much frivolous stuff, like buying an excessive amount of luxury tea, and going to beauty salons, and getting massages. And it's like, buddy, is there anything that you don't use your corporate credit card for? I mean, look, I I do have to say... If they're gonna dig up dirt to show the board, like you gotta show not only the crimes against humanity and, and you know that sort of thing, you also gotta show that he's stealing from the company. Because you know there's gonna be someone who's who like they look at the list of, of corporate malfeasance and it's like, wait, he spent fifth, he spent five thousand yen on hand cream. That's five thousand yen. I don't get to put in my bank account, which only has five hundred trillion yen in it. No, like it's, you know, when when you're dealing with corporate people, you gotta you gotta make sure to put those little things in. It, it just it killed me. The luxury tea specifically is the one that killed me because we know that guy is like vain, and we have seen him like drinking a lot of tea out of fancy tea sets, but just. Spends an excessive amount yeah, more than, on luxury tea. That is such a nice More detail. than necessary. And I'm just like, that that killed me. Um, also, a little side thing I noticed as Aruto is kind of like wistfully looking at the company's statement. Um, it's hung over a schedule for the month of May, because I assume on the timeline the show is still in the month of May. And on May 1st, you can see some kanji and then the word birthday written in English. And I got curious. So I'm like, whose birthday? And I, I translated the kanji and May 1st is Aruto's birthday. And I mentioned this on Twitter and someone responded that May 1st, 2019 was the start of the Reiwa era. So I thought that was really cute that they managed to kind of sneak in Aruto is the start of the Reiwa era. That's... That's extremely good. Like, I, I caught the birthday thing. I just, I didn't know whose birthday it was. I assumed Aruto's, but I did not make the connection with the start of the Rewa era. That's, that's really good. Also, another cute thing that came from translating the kanji is that specifically what's written there is Aruto Shacho birthday. Meaning that it's very likely that Izu is the one who wrote it, which would make sense because... I can't imagine Aruto can keep a schedule, and Izu, Izu's job is to keep his schedule, and that means 
one, she she wrote down his birthday and she like put an exclamation mark and a cute squiggly line under it, and also scheduled a week off. Like she closed the company for a week after that. Just for them to like chill out, which obviously has not happened. Or maybe it did, I don't know exactly what day the timeline is on. But she scheduled a full week off for them. I mean, look, they definitely just, deserve it. Just chill. That was Aruto's birthday present, is to just not have to deal with this nonsense for a week. Yep. Shame he didn't get it. Maybe next year, Aruto. Uh, it's also very sweet that Fuwa went back to talk about the we're gonna go fight the Ark plan with Yua, and just, you know, make sure that she's okay and has talked to Ai and is doing good. And that Yua can kind of take comfort from him charging in head first, because Fuwa's recklessness is an unshakable constant, and an unshakable constant is what Yua needs to kind of settle herself down. She needs normalcy, yeah. and Fuwa being a reckless idiot is the best normalcy she could ask for. Um, and having her give this really heartfelt apology for the things that she's done was also just incredibly sweet. And then the narrative gives us this this key that it's all gonna be okay by having them kind of fall back into their banter where she can't, like, f she has to, like, make an excuse for the apology and then they kind of laugh at each other over it. Like, I love it. Yeah, it's so good. Like, those two have such an amazing chemistry. And watching her try to apologize while he's just laughing about it, and then they're just ribbing each other, it's it's really nice to see. You definitely, like, it is easy to believe that they have been friends for years. Which is saying something, because I don't think they've even been friends for years in the show. No, they hated each other at the start of the show. Or at bare minimum, they didn't get along. Yeah. They were not people who liked each other. No, they were not. Like, eight months ago. Eight or nine months ago. Then we've got that bit of, you know, they kind of banter a little bit about I, and you was like, ah, yeah, I can't really see her as a tool. And it's this kind of nice moment of her finally being able to shake off what Zaya did to her and show that she's ready to engage with the world and the Yumagir in it on her own terms and not on guys for once. Yeah. And it's it's really nice to see that when we also put it into the context of I think it was 35 having Fua do his no, I'm on the human gear side too moment. Just everyone coming around to Aruto's dream. And it's beautiful. Mostly because the dream is about, you know, we're gonna love and accept each other. I also love that on on his way out, Fua's like, I want her back though. <laughs> Because that's, that's part of that. Like, he's this guy who started the show wanting to wipe Yuma Gear off the face of the earth, and now he's actively, directly seeking to have them as part of his life. He wants I to be around and in his life. I'm pretty sure that, you know, once we get Naki out from under Metsubo Jinrai, like, he'd be fine being like, yeah, now... You and I are going to team up, we're going to do a buddy cop thing, and I'm going to show you how to exist in the world. Like, I just, I can't get over how fulfilling Yua and Fua's arcs have been. 
yeah, it's it's really been good, and I think fulfilling is exactly the right word for it. Because it's, it's just really heartwarming. And I honestly and sincerely love how much of this show has just been about, again, I know I've been banging on this whole episode, but it's been about people learning how to love when the forces of the culture around them are trying to make them hate. And I just, that's beautiful. I love, I love when we can do a show about love. It's good it stuff. Is. Um, and I think that's basically it for the coverage, which, I mean, probably, and even if we could go on, and I feel like we could go on, uh, we're at, like, we're over two hours on the recording, so let's let's get to our new suit roundup. Yeah. Um, okay. First is Common Rider Naki because I feel like I feel like they have to go first. I swear this is not because of my deep personal bias, or not just because of my deep personal bias. That probably does factor in, but this is my favorite suit in the whole show. It is immaculate. It is absolute perfection. And look, I don't even have the deep personal bias that you do, which is why I'm comfortable in saying that, yes, indeed, the Kamen Rider Naki suit is glorious to behold. I don't know if I would say absolute perfection, but, I mean, it's a real good suit. <laughs> I love the monochrome palette with the, the pop of blue in the eyes, the sideways wolf head in the helmet, kind of like we had with Rogue, um, which I also loved. I love that it mimics the hair falling over one eye. I love the way the straps fall over the chest piece and around the shoulders. I love that it's slightly feminine in cut, but is still, like, big and chunky and looks like if you got hit by it, it would feel like getting hit by a truck. Yeah. Um, I kind of mentioned this, but I love that Naki is the extinct Japanese wolf tying them back to Metsubo Junrai's extinct animal theme, but is also still tied to Fua because it's still a wolf theme. It's built off the same base as Ikazuchi, so it's cohesive to the group, but it's got this very stark palette that sets them apart, because they're, especially now that Jin is red, they're these all kind of dark and intense colors, where Naki is this bright white and is kind of a shuffling of sh Vulcan's shooting wolf blue, white, and black palette. Now, the, the black has kind of come up as the secondary color, the white is the main color, and the blue is the pop of color, where on shooting wolf it's the white the blue is the main color the white is the secondary color and the black is the accent color my only criticism is i'm not a huge fan of how the force riser looks on it because it's yellow and it doesn't really fit i think if they put a shot riser on them since that's blue and would kind of bring that color scheme all the way down like it would be flawless there would be i would have no complaints um and even then i barely care because the suit is just a work of art i mean i i do hope that the, we'll have a chance to see a shot rise version by the end i mean maybe not because i guess they don't really shoot so much but still speaking of just and this is 
just sort of a sidelong thing. I just love how Naki is basically black and white tokusatsu Wolverine from the X-Men. Especially since, like, okay, movies aside, Wolverine is supposed to be, like, five foot four or something, which makes me long for a world where we can have more, like, tiny non-binary sorts who are also the scary, cool, hardcore melee DPS sorts. Because I just, I think that's great. I love how small Naki is. Um, part of that is probably also because I am very small, but I just adore that Naki is this itty-bitty ball of death and destruction. Yeah. Just tearing everything up. Also, just that henshin. Mm -hmm. Just the, the dropping of the key and the tornado as the armor snaps into place. It's all so sleek and elegant and perfect. Yeah, it really is. Like, it's it's smooth and it has so much character. I confess I wouldn't have minded a few more effects throughout because I was I was sort of thinking like everyone else got to have a flashier one, but also then I remember that Naki's whole like thing is how relatively controlled they present themselves, and there's just something about the idea of this raging hurricane beneath their chill exterior that just feels so perfect for Naki. And also... This is a silly thing, I don't know why, but for some reason, I, keep, I just keep focusing on this giant bulky coat and then just dropping the little key. It just, it makes the whole thing feel extra smooth somehow for reasons I can't put a finger on, but I just, I keep focusing on it. So. It's all so yeah. good. I, I love it. I love it. Um, and that brings us to Kamen Rider Arc Zero. Arc Zero is incredibly effective at what it wants to be in that Mashin Chaser sort of way. Because um, it's Zero One in the way that Mashin Chaser was Drive, but it's not. It's this ugly, gross thing. And by uh, like, when I say ugly, it's still a gorgeous suit, but it is, it is ugly in that way that it is this gross, slimy thing that is mocking Zero-One by impersonating it. Which, as we saw with Genom and Dangerous Zombie, is not a new tool to Yuya's toolbox. That actually is kind of a thing he really likes doing. He's um, very good at you it. Know, between Genom and, and Dangerous Zombie and also Cronus. Mm. They were all kind of extensions of that same design. Um, but, like, all of those suits are great, and Arc Zero is just kind of this really amazing culmination of that. Yeah, it really is. And, and like, I'm definitely seeing the bits you're bringing up here, especially Dangerous Zombie, because that was where I went. Um, but, yeah, Machine Chaser as well. But I also want to throw in how much I dig on there being... It's not a direct thing, but I can't help but think of Shadow Moon in there. Mostly just in kind of messing with the colors of the hero in such a way that doesn't exactly invert it like Shadow Moon does with Kamen Rider Black, but still. There's just, there's something about taking all those neon yellow bits and making them that matte black that just really appeals to me. Um, and also, I, I love an evil rider, and dang, if Arc Zero isn't basically 
a platonic ideal of the evil writer for the new era. Yeah, I think the part of the design that really, like, hits it out of the park for me is that he's got this gross venom mouth. Yes. Like, it's, it's disgusting. And it's not that he opens it, which I kind of wish he would, um, but just that he's got this drippy, jagged mouth on the helmet that is ripping open. Like, the, the arc eye showing through the, the air quotes broken helmet and like, all of the scrap metal on it, like, really sell the idea, but that mouth just nails yeah, it Yeah, it's just, it's such a, a weird, like, again, it's, it's the idea that he's mocking humans. Like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, I'll have a mouth. It's just, like, pointy scrap metal. It's, it's great. But seriously, I just... You said the venom, the venom mouth does it. I'm, I'm a pleb, because I'm just like, that big staring eye, though. <laughs> it's just, it is such a nightmare. And, and, because I think for me, on it, it's, it is the nightmare quality, but also it is the thing where, like, yes, Zero One, I am mocking you. And who is it that is mocking you? It's me, the Ark. Like, it's just... You might as well just have a neon sign pointing at the eye saying, Ark. It's, it's, it's good hashtag branding. I do wish the white stripes from the torso continued down to the legs, since that abrupt stop at the hip joint feels kind of weird, especially since he also has white feet. Like, I feel like it should just go all the way down. But that's really my only complaint, and it's a pretty minor one, since I only think about it when I'm looking at stills of the suit, and completely forget about it any time the suit is in motion. Yeah, that was a thing we brought up over here, too. But I will say this, like, the, 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 I do like the white bits on the hips sort of create the, the space for me, anyway, to sort of draw attention to the big clawed feet that he's got and and I think that's why I'm okay with them cuz it there's the hip and then there's just all that you know the the different kinds of black and then there's just those big pop of white on the feet and see I I feel like if it went all the way cuz I didn't even notice the feet until I was really looking at why the lines on the the lines not going down bothered me because I feel like that would draw my eye all the way down to that's them. Yeah, that's a good point. Either way, I just I mostly just bring this up so I can talk about how I really like those those big claw feet things. Oh yeah, they're yeah, great. Which is why I like wish I had noticed them sooner. Yeah, no, true, true. Especially since like, okay, I know we're we're doing we're supposed to be like sort of complaining a bit, but I just I like that he seems to have a very certain footstep sound effect which uh again if, if that's a shadow moon thing baby it's not as memorable because like the shadow moon suit had actual mechanical bits on the boots that moved when he walked but still it it might not look as good but it did evoke um a great writer in a way that didn't make me wish i was looking at that suit instead so like look i'm gonna give him that yeah. Though, if I'm going to do a complaint about the arc, 
it's going to be a tiny thing where I was hoping there'd be a lot... Like, this isn't even the suit. This is in the actor. Where I was just kind of hoping it'd have that uh, evil metal cluster movement thing. But then I remember, like, oh yeah, the dangerous zombie guy is in the other suit. <laughs> so, <laughs> giving you know, giving the arc a different character and a different body language, which, like, look, lest I be misunderstood, I still like the body language. I just, you know, I like the weird, freaky, doesn't-need-eyes-to-see-you body language. I just... I just like the way it moved, but I also still like the way the new work is, so... There's not a lot of complaints to be made. I just... You know, if, I guess if I ever got a figure arts, I'd want to get some model paint and just, like, you know, add a white line down the leg or something. Anyway, so from there, um, getting into our extrapolations, because we have a lot of thoughts this time. We could go even longer, but uh, we both agreed, like, we have a lot of thoughts this time. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we try, normally we try and keep our show under two hours, but there is just so much here. Yeah, there's can't. a lot of, like, um, deep, interesting stuff they're working with, and I'm very happy about it. Coming up, seeing the preview for 38, they're gonna try and make guys sympathetic, and they're gonna do it with a really cute robot dog, and I don't know if they can make it yeah, work. Yeah, that is, uh, to put it lightly, a tall order. <laughs> like, it's the Abare killer problem. We've spent so long with Guy maliciously hurting characters we love for fun and profit that no matter how much of a sympathetic sob story they give him, we're almost to episode 40 right now. We've only got, you know, like seven episodes left. I don't know if we can forgive the horrible physical and emotional abuse he's put literally every other member of the cast through. And I will give them the chance because I don't know on what level they want him to be redeemable because, again, the fight against Metsubo Jinrai, we were not supposed to be rooting for him. So I will see what level they want to present this on but it's very possible our next episode is going to be titled Cool Motives Still Murder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is also just going to hinge on how redeemed they want us to think of him. Because, okay, if he's going to be made to see the error of his ways, have a moment of personal transformation, go forth and sin no more, but most importantly, go away, because he can't do anything but compound the misery he's left in his wake. Like... Fine, I'll accept a baster. If he goes to jail, like he should. And like, look, yes, I know that you can be like, ha ha, you're a hypocrite, you you don't like the carceral state, but you also want to see people go to jail, that's very interesting, please don't bother. I just, I want to see him be made to take some responsibility outside of like, oh, it's okay, I've forgiven myself. Because, uh, yeah... But if they try to play it like he's redeemed and now he's our friend, no. No. Like, I, I doubt they will, because I, I do remember Shindan Kuroto and there being that bit in x where x just had to come in and be like, no, look, Kuroto sucks. 
I hate him. He killed a friend of mine. Like, literally, he murdered a friend of mine. But he's on our side because we need people to be on our side against the bigger, badder guy. I hate it too. But let's wait until we get rid of the big bad guy before we beat him into the ground. Because, like, look, I would accept that as, as like, okay, we're going to give him the dog so that we can humanize him just enough so that when he comes to, to say, like, hey, I want to be on the good guy's side, I don't expect you to like me, we can be like, all right. Because, like, I, I, feel like, I feel like I could take that, but... The thing with Dan Kuroto, though, is one... It was much earlier in the show. I feel like it was the early 30s, or maybe the late 20s. I don't think it was this late. No, it wasn't. But who knows what time is, so maybe it was. But also, Dan Kuroto had not been doing this targeted and systemic, like, attacks on everyone in the cast. Yes, he killed Kiria. And he's a real jerk about it but when that people was not brought even... it up to him. Yeah, but that wasn't even about Kyria. It was about, you know, getting an obstacle out of his way. Like, Guy hurt Naki because Naki was a tool to him. He he hurt Yua because Yua was a tool to him, and he could. There's a difference in how Kuroto looked at people and how Guy looks at people. Because Kuroto, like, again... Kuroto's whole problem with, with Emu was Emu had a better video game idea than him. Years ago. Like, he's, he saw Emu as a rival. Mm. Guy sees everyone as a thing. Yeah, no. Look, I'm, I'm just... Like, even, even Kyria. Kyria was a rival that he had to dispose mm. of. And I just... I don't know if they can sell me on accepting guy as part of the team yeah no that's look that's fair because again uh, i will i don't know if i'll accept him as part of the team i would take a face turn but if they want us to think he's never done anything wrong because of that cool motive i refuse i refuse yeah i mean i i'm i'm really not sure they'll go that far, but I feel like there's gonna be a thing where they're going to try to rationalize the way he is by this robot dog story. I, I really hope I don't want look, on top of everything else, I don't want a robot dog to be done dirty like that because robot dog deserves better. Also, okay, um, because this bit had a robot dog and because uh, I recently reread Pluto, uh, the manga, um, I, I just have ended up on an Astro Boy kick lately, and I just want to throw out that um, thematically, it's got a lot of stuff very similar to Zero One, up to and including, like, hey, people who are trying to make a lot of money will definitely cause a lot of suffering and, and like, make marginalization in society worse to make more money. Like, it's it's really... It's really good, and it makes an interesting uh, companion piece to Zero One. And if you can't get down with the Tezuka style, I know that's not for everyone. Um, you know, give give Pluto a shot. If if you do like the the Tezuka style, you know, watch. I, I've been watching the 2003 
uh, anime series, and it rules. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out, because uh, Astro Boy is actually quite good, and it makes for a very interesting thing to watch while you're watching Zero One. Uh, so do we have any, any other closing thoughts? Um, just that Naki is yeah. good. Naki is good. And I can't believe that Toei did this for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they did, though. Um, at the very least, we can't call the Common Rider office cowards until, well, I, I guess about eight episodes from now. Yeah, they've got two months. Look, it's first time in two months we haven't been able to call them cowards. So, yeah, and hey, maybe that period will be extended. I don't know what's coming in the next ride. Yeah, I I only found out about its name on accident, and Sono, I'm not going to say it to you because I know you wouldn't appreciate that. Uh, but I um I am I'm curious because this is going to be a hard act to follow. Yeah. Um, but man, just Naki. And I hope this this definitely means we're going to get some Naki merch. Now. Yeah, I mean they they made um, that suit, and that that is a thing you can immediately tweet me about when it happens. Um, please, please direct me to any and all Naki related merchandise as it appears because I don't follow the merchandise releases, and I want it. So, for specifically. Naki-related merchandise, you are allowed to come to me and tell me it is happening. Well, alright then. So, until next time, for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the TOOL Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonic.